Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing Hey, uh, listen, I, I am like wanting to just share a couple of thoughts with you, uh, but I also want to share a bit of a story from this last week. Um, and so I appreciate you guys, you know, last Sunday when we were together, we um, I had you guys pray, you know, just remember that, hey, I'm taking a group of students out. Leslie and I are taking a group of students out on a backpacking trip into the wilderness, and it was awesome. And so thanks for praying for that. Um, this upcoming week, actually tomorrow, I go down to Creed, uh, where Brian and Sarah Ray help run a Young Life Wilderness Ranch, and they do wilderness expeditions all summer long. They just crank them out like, bam, 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 bam. They had so many, so they have like 40 staff who are taking out multiple trips every single week for like two months solid. So it's such a high concentration of students coming in from all over the nation and they go and they have an experience. And, um, and then um, about this time, the staff start to transition and start to think, okay, I'm going back to college, I'm going home, going to jobs. So their season is coming to an end. And uh, I'm blessed, this is a few years now that we've been going um, to debrief with their staff. So they have 40 staff that have worked really hard, just pouring out love to kids and working really hard in the wilderness. I don't know if you guys have ever led a wilderness expedition before, but it's a lot of moving parts, a lot of work. And, um, and they, do, they do a tremendous job there. And so I'm super blessed to be able to go and just spend four days uh, with their staff. Like I said, about 40 of them. And I would appreciate prayers for that. Okay. Uh, it's kind of my tribe, you know, a bunch of feral dirt bags <laughs> living in the woods. <laughs> it's like, yes, my people. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I wanted to share a little bit about uh, this past week, Highland Youth Ministry backpacking trip. Um, you guys know that I've been doing this kind of stuff for a lot of years. In fact, um, prior to coming back to Woodland Park, Tiffany and I spent 10 years in the adventure-based programming world where we worked with adjudicated youth, we worked with kids who were locked up, uh, repeat offenders, some of them were wards of the state, had been part of foster care system, and been in many, many placements. I remember talking to one girl, she had been in 32 different placements by the time she was 16 years old. And um, so that's two a year. And you think about just the trauma that a lot of these kids have had to go through. Anyway, all that to say is like we would take them out on two and three wilderness expeditions. And we did that for about four years uh, right after we got married. And so we averaged about 21 nights a month out in the woods year-round for a few years. And uh, then when we got pregnant with Rachel, we shifted gears and we went to a stationary camp 
that was south of Kansas City where we worked. It was more of an educational facility where we worked with inner city kids who were part of the Kansas City, Missouri School District, and they would come and they would be part of not only like natural science classes, but also high ropes course and adventures and all that kind of fun stuff too. So we did that for 10 years. And then um, God called us back to Woodland Park, to our home. And when we began to work with uh, students here in this community, that we're going back some years, aren't we, Bob? Like 26 years? I mean, Bob and Val were some of the first people we'd met when we came here. And there was a little cabin right next door. Uh, some of you have heard some of these stories. Some of you were here. You lived through it. Uh, but that cabin burnt down. I think it's been, has it been 10 years? Maybe nine years? I can't remember how long ago it's been. That, that cabin burnt down. But we had a youth house next door. Some of you were blessed to be able to go into that space and be a part of that. Um, you know, what's interesting is um, Leslie, who is now uh, the youth pastor here at Emmaus, working with our students. And by the way, there's a calendar uh, for August that's on the bulletin board if you're curious what, what's coming up for Highland Youth Ministry. But um, when I met Leslie, she was seventh grader. She was 12 years old in the youth group. Now she's bumping into 40. <laughs> and, um, and so she and I took this group this last week. And, uh, you know, we talked about some things that we were grateful for, and I'm grateful for a body that actually gets me out there still, you know, after all these years. But, um, but one of the things that, um, that's really fascinating about Leslie is now her youngest daughter, who is now 12 years old in middle school, went on this trip. And so you start thinking about longevity in a place, and you start thinking about, like, having a bit of a niche where, um, you know, this is kind of a unique experience that students in this area get to have. And, um, and I'm blessed that, that we can still be doing that over all these years. But it reminded me of all the kids over the years. And some of those kids have been coming here this whole time. Like, um, you know, I was thinking about Cody Corman. He's, he's back in the States. He's a missionary with his wife and kids. Think about Scott Ritchie, Chris Campion. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, Keenan, who's in Scotland. Cody, Corey, Molly. Amy, David, Becca. I mean, just to name a few, there's literally been hundreds of kids. And they're now bumping into their late 30s and early 40s. And um, I'm like, wow, that makes me kind of feel old. <laughs> but, you know, it beats the alternative, I guess. So, um, so, you know what was even more surprising from that season than walking with the kids and helping point those kids to Jesus was... Um, the way that the Father joined me to a team of people like Val, like Jackie, like Art, like Liz and Jim, you know, people who would help, you know, take a, you know, we'd go do, do retreats or we'd go to these events, you know, people like George. And, you know, it was just like, wow, a team of people with a shared vision to be safe adults to help students in our city be part of a community where they could explore their faith, you know, in Jesus. And so what an amazing gift to be a part of that. What a privilege. And so the reason why I'm circling around this is because I'm still convinced that Emmaus Fellowship has a place in the city that offers that healthy community where students can work through some of their big questions and explore what it means to walk with Jesus. And so I just wanted to remind us that this is a, 
a pretty special place that has, the Lord has kind of had a fingerprint on that, that specific area of ministry. And that's not to say that other churches aren't doing really amazing things with students. I mean, some of our students go to other youth groups, and that's kind of how it is in a small town, because kids bring kids to youth group. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to mention around that was um, that even this last week, there were several highlights that were really, um, yeah, just reminded me, like, this is why we do what we do. Uh, but one was sending kids on a solo time of reflection. It was the third morning, and it was a beautiful morning. And prior to sending them out with a few um, questions to journal and to reflect on and to think about, I actually had um, an encouragement for them. And one of the things that I shared with them, and you might think that these are pretty deep waters, but trust me, seventh graders navigate this stuff. So I started talking to them about some of the new research that's showing that addiction has less to do with trauma or genetics and more to do with a lack of bonding and um, a lack of healthy connections that can bring, bring soothing to your soul, like actually like bring comfort to you and bring peace to you and help you navigate the upheavals that we experience or the trauma that we go through. So like... Don't be afraid to talk to your kids about hard stuff, because they were all in it. And, um, and one of the things that's interesting about this research is it's showing that the, the emotion that's generated by the addictive behavior, whatever that is, eating, gam- gambling, or chemicals, or you know, sex, or compulsive buying, whatever it is, uh, we bond to that emotion as an attempt to self-soothe more than we bond to the actual activity itself. So there's an emotional thing that's happening there that's really important to consider when we think about what are we connecting with, what are we connecting to. Of course, you know, when I ask them what were some of the other, you know, addictions out there, I mean, they all know that tablets and, you know, being online is a, a risk. Um, and we all, we all face that challenge. We all understand that there are certain things that draw us into that. Again, what, what's, what's, the, what's at the heart of this is a lack of bonding, and so it's an attempt to connect us with something and, and an emotion of some sort. And so the, the binding to that effectual emotion is what creates that ad- addictive tendency. So I'm talking to them all about this kind of stuff, right? And uh, Because here's the important piece. Those patterns are often set at a pretty young age especially when there's some perceived lack. Now, this is important, perceived lack. It could, be, it could be actual. Often it's perceived, a lack of a bonding to family and parents. And so here's the one thing that research really does show that's really very important for us as parents to remember. Kids can tell. They have this instinctive capacity to know if you really want to be attuned or not. If you want to be attuned, but you're having a bad day, there's grace for that in a kid. It doesn't impact them the same way as if you're just kind of checking out, (laughs) right? So again, that perceived dynamic is real, but here's what happens. Um, You know, when there's like this perceived lack of bonding with a primary caregiver or family or friends that are parents or whatever it is that are healthy, 
then there is an innate need that we have to learn how to self-soothe. The, 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 and this is for those with littles. It's really, really helpful for you to know that if you are attuned to your kids and you help them, if you help soothe them, especially little, I mean, we're talking like my grandkids' age. Like they haven't even like formed sentences yet. But they're still establishing some form of attachment to a primary caregiver based on that primary caregiver, my daughter and my son-in-law, their ability to attune and bring soothing to that child when that child has a need. Whenever there's a rupture, it demands a repair. And that rupture could be in the diaper or it could be an emotional rupture. There, it, it demands a repair. And caregivers who are attuned and can bring repair and help, that trains the brain. Because honestly, in little kids, before they can even talk, the hardware is not even on board yet. Like the architecture in the brain, the amygdala, is firing off, but the hippocampus is not even fully on board to help them sort through and manage those emotions, and we, we, we get to be that for them until that grows and comes on. And the way it grows is it's modeled. Okay, I didn't really plan on going down this rabbit hole, but it's a good one. I like it. I like this stuff because here's what happens. We grow up. And Jesus is still saying, bring the little kids to me. Oh, and that little kid might be 40, 50, 60 years old inside of you. Bring the little kid to me and help that little child, help that place in your heart and your soul that demanded a repair all these years and hasn't found it yet. Bring them to me. Because I want to be their primary care. I want to be your primary caregiver. And I want you to, I want you to form some healthy, secure attachments to me. And so let me change channels on you just a little bit because I want to talk to you about why did Jesus call himself a bondservant to the Father? Why did James in James 1.1 identify himself? The very first thing he says, I, James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ, am writing to all of you who have been dispersed across the globe because of persecution he is pointing to something that's critical because everything in those, like the recipients of that letter, like I said, had been scattered. They had been experiencing trauma. They had been experiencing a displacement of community. They had been experiencing an upheaval in their own lives. And he's saying, look, I want to identify with you the need for us to bond ourselves to Jesus. So... Um, the question that I asked the kids then before I sent them out on their solo, oh, by the way, it was beautiful, so gorgeous. Perfect morning, except for the bugs. And they'll tell you that. Will, do you still have like a million mosquito bites? Yeah, but who's counting? 127. All right. <laughs> so I asked them, what's the difference between a Christian and a bondservant? What's the difference between a Christian and a bondservant? Christian, Christians are assured that their sins are forgiven and that when they die, they will go to heaven and they may endeavor to live a good and moral life that is pleasing to God. And yet, when Christians wake up most mornings, they ask themselves the question, what am I going to do today? And then they set about their day and give it all they have. A bondservant, 
also understands their basic position in Christ, that their sins are forgiven, and that when they, go, when they die, they'll go to heaven. And, and they also endeavor to live a good and moral life that's pleasing to God. But the big difference is that when a bond servant wakes up in the morning, they ask a different question. Instead of asking, what am I going to do today? They ask, Jesus, with whom I am bonded to, what are we going to do today? And they set out in the strength that God empowers them by the Holy Spirit to live that day in a way that brings glory to the Father. And so simultaneously what happens is the bond that we have with Jesus that brings comfort, that brings healing, that brings peace to our souls, um, after, you know, after, we, after we go through like this process of being like, hey, you know what, I'm experiencing relief, I'm experiencing a lift, I'm experiencing like fulfillment in my life, and my eyes start to lift out of myself, and I start to look around, and I start to realize that the bond that I have with Jesus is going to gravitationally draw me to other people. And so there's this simultaneous thing that happens. I don't know what comes first. I think, honestly, I do. I think, honestly, Jesus is so kind, and he's so patient, And he understands our needs so well that he's willing for us to experience first a healing and a restorative work of, you know, wholeness that will lead us into people's lives. Because we don't want to necessarily be ministering out of our brokenness. We want to be ministering out of our healing. But I do know that then when we engage other people, there's a, like a next level healing that comes to us too. There's like a, a new dynamic of understanding the grace that comes with partnering with Jesus that's not only for the people that we're ministering to, but also for us. So there's that simultaneous sort of dance back and forth. So after going through all this uh, the other morning, I, I sent them out with a, a phrase. The phrase was rosebud thorn. And some of you have done this around the dinner table. It's kind of like high lows. But rosebud thorn is more of like three questions. What in your life is beautiful? Like what are you grateful for? That's the rose. Bud is like what are you looking forward to in your life? Like what's on the horizon? What do you imagine? What do you dream about? And the third one was uh, thorn, which is, how are you experiencing suffering and pain? Now, we switched it around when we actually had a conversation about this, and we put the bud last, because we always want to end on a good note, right? But it was still important, and I thought, okay, well, these kids, you know, I don't know where they're going to go with this. So we sent them off, and... um, the conversation that we had that night around the campfire, several hours later, you know, we sent them out for like an hour or so. And then we went on this amazing hike. And then it started to rain a little bit. So we, t- you know, we just tucked into camp and we played cards and whittled and did all that kind of fun stuff. And then later that night, we had a campfire. And uh, this was one of my highlights because a lot of the kids were like, do we have to share our stuff? No, you don't have to. Absolutely not. That's your stuff. That's your story. It's sacred. And you can share it if you want. Well, we got rolling into that conversation that lasted about two hours, and everybody shared, and everybody just was so kind to one another to listen. 
Um, it was amazing. So as I was preparing for this message this morning, I couldn't get off of last week's encouragement. Because here it is being lived out. Last week we talked about James. Two, I think we went through verses 14 through 23 or whatever it was. And it was just basically like, um, yeah, I'll I'll get into it here in a second. I couldn't get off of it because it's what we were experiencing during this backpacking trip. So I decided that I'm going to circle back around and do a part two, like an add-on, a little add-on. This has all been part of the add-on, by the way. Um, isn't it fun when stories can teach and stories can speak? And, you know, it's like we were living something of the truth here that we had been talking about last week. And so James 2, 19 through 20 is where I'll just kind of like pull that out. This is what we talked a little bit about last week, and I just want to pull this out. I'm going to read this to us. We'll just take another five minutes or so, and we'll just circle around this and just see what the Lord wants to do to encourage you personally. James 2, 19 through 20. You can believe all you want that there is one true God. That's wonderful. But even the demons know this and tremble with fear before him, yet they're unchanged. They remain demons. O feeble sons of Adam, do you need further evidence that faith divorced of good works is lifeless? I just, that just kept coming back to me. Not that I like to think about demons. I mean, I do have a spiritual worldview, and some of you may not. Some of you may be like, well, that's, that's a bit of mythology, and that's whatever, whatever. But I do know that there are non-corporal entities. Can I say that? Like, <laughs> there are forces in the universe that do not have bodies that have influence on human beings. And they're not all good. And, uh, you know, we don't need to go down... Uh, the deep trail of like where did that how did that happen and all that. let's just suffice it to say that God has a declared enemy and his name is Satan and Satan has angels that have aligned themselves with his purposes and Satan's purpose is to hate everything about God including everyone that God loves and his purpose is to still kill and destroy and he seeks whom he may devour. So there's all this kind of like, yeah, that's, that's bad news, right? Now, the big, I don't need to go down this philosophical road too deep. I just want to ask the question. It's a bit rhetorical. Uh, you can chew on this later. Did God create evil or did God create the possibility of evil? And I think God allowed the possibility of evil. I don't think God created evil. I think the possibility of evil challenges us on one hand and also, can I dare say, helps us become who God wants us to be in this time, in the season when we live in a broken and fallen world, and, and we will experience certain things. I mean, what does it say in the Bible? Consider it all joy when you face various trials and tribulations because it works something in you that you will not experience otherwise. And so we could point at, you know, anyway, I'm going too far down there. I just want to say this, that demons know The truth. But they don't do anything that's good. And therefore they're stuck in who they are and what their purpose is in life. So I would say that um, the challenge here, and I didn't go into all this with the kids, don't worry. But I I would. 
I mean, I, I'm not afraid of this conversation with anybody if they're asking, but I don't want to shove it. But I just, I just know this, that, um, that, you know, there's something about this that really stuck out to me where it says, they're unchanged, they remain demons. This is all in the context of like, hey, we are people of faith. We talk about faith. We talk about our belief systems. But do you see how putting your faith into action codifies like your transformation? It, it helps bring the change. It reforms. It, 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 it mashes something out of you and something into you simultaneously that sticks. And so it's one thing to agree with ideas, systematic theology, cultural norms of belief. That's a good start. Even better, when you begin to explore with other people and put your internal faith into language and name what your values are, that's really good. And yet it seems that if transformation, if healing, if change, if becoming the the best version of yourself is a desire of yours, then we have to imagine a life bonded to our source, asking the question, Jesus, what are we going to do today? And go and do it. Remember last week, we were sharing out of Philippians 2.12, it says this, uh, that if we want to work out our journey of wholeness, our sozo or our salvation, if we want to work that out, um, and that tied to verse 13, that we have to remember that it is God that is in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. So you're not left alone to do the good works. Do you understand that the motivating factor here is God in you, who is working things in you so that his good pleasure can be expressed through your life? I love how it specifically says good pleasure. So what do you think makes God happy? Bringing beauty from ashes. Restoring the broken places in people's lives. Bringing people into safety, adopting orphans, caring for widows. The practical outworking of our faith. So, kind of coming to a landing here, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship, or handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's one thing for us to talk about God's destiny over our lives. Let's just remember that it gets lived out in practical terms. Like it literally gets lived out in caring for others and doing things. I mean, James is really clear in that, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I just want you to know that it gets real practical. So being bond servants to the Father in Christ Jesus allows the inworking of his divine power to motivate us towards people that we can bless by doing good deeds that are practical and relevant. And this is an ingredient to our faith that transforms us into the image of Jesus. All right? And so I'll leave us with a couple questions. What good work can we do in our city? What good work has the Father predestined for us to do in the city? Is it joining, like, you know, I was describing the, the work that we've done with kids over the years and how there's like this, 
this thread over the years where that just stays true to like some of our ethos, our DNA here. Could it be like imagining something like that, joining a team? And, and you know, I, I just want to encourage us because there's probably a hundred different ways that we can answer that question. And this is where the grace of God in your life gets to help answer that question. Because one of the visions that I have for this fellowship is different than a lot of fellowships. You know, a lot of fellowships, they have a leadership team and they come up with a vision and they create a whiteboard, sort of org chart, and there's empty spaces on that org chart where we need people to get quote-unquote plugged in and fulfill a need to fulfill the vision of our church. What if, now this is where it shifts for me, and this has been something that we've walked through for many years, what if the vision of this fellowship is that God has a compelling vision over each of your lives? And that what if it was something where we could like discover that together or share it or be um, in partnership with one another as we do the thing that God has given you and me and us the grace to do collectively? Like, what if that was like a definition of what it meant to be the body? Like with Jesus the head who gives the ideas and inspires and empowers and motivates and works within us to do the good pleasure of the Father as the head. And what if we as the hands and the feet and the eyes and the mouth and all the different parts of the body functioning in their uniqueness were able to express what it meant to be the body of Christ in this region. That's what I imagine. So... Anyway, those are big questions that you don't have to necessarily answer now. Just chew on them because I think they're important for us to circle back around to every so often because I think we've come out of a couple of years where it was just like, yeah, my, my goal in life is to hunker down and survive. We're past that. So, um, so with that, I would love to end our time with a blessing. And this blessing I actually received from one of my mentors over the last several years. And by mentor, I mean like I go to his conferences and I read his books and I've had conversations with him and I know his family. I don't talk to him every week or every month even, but I do consider him a gift from the Father as he has poured into my life. And his name is Terry Wardle. And, um, and so what I would like to do is I would, this is an attachment blessing. So we were talking about the bonding and the attachment to the source and all that. So I would love for you, if you wouldn't mind, just standing and allowing me to pray this blessing over you. So in the strong name of Jesus, I bless you with the knowledge that God sees you today in all your uniqueness and wonder as his child. And may you experience his attachment love, which promises to keep you safe in the arms of his care. And may you be comforted through the difficulties you face and rest secure on the rock of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. 
If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page. 